Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here as always with Howard Tybal. I'm loving your beard. Are you? Yeah, people don't know that you grew a beard. You yeah, look they good. Don't. They don't. Thank you. I like it. You look so much more. You're an academic, but you even look more academic now. That's what I was going for. It's it, because there's so much gray in it now. It makes it makes people take me more seriously. Except, what do your kids, except do your you, kids like it, nope. or are they calling you grandpa now? Nope, they won't kiss me anymore. No more bedtime kisses. No, and <laughs> okay. so I, you know, we'll see how long it lasts. Very good. Uh, today we are taking on the CAO CBO collaboration, a perennial favorite uh, around these parts, and we have two fantastic experts uh, from my favorite university uh, to help us illuminate just what best practice institution does to instill this culture of collaboration. But before we introduce them, you should find out more about Navigating Change at tybalinc.com, where you can subscribe to the show by email, iTunes, or your podcast app of choice, and connect with us on Twitter and LinkedIn. All of that at tybalinc.com, T-E-I-B-E-L-inc.com. Okay, joining us on the show this week, two very special guests from University of Colorado at Boulder. Russell Moore is Provost and Executive Vice Chancellor for Academic Affairs. Kelly Fox is Senior Vice Chancellor and Chief Financial Officer at the University. Together, Russ, Kelly, and Howard will be speaking at the National Association of College and University Business Officers Annual Meeting in Nashville on Sunday, July 19th, Collaborating for Impact, the CBO-CAO Partnership in practice. Russ, Kelly, welcome to Navigating Change. Thank you. Thank Great you. to be here. Howard, let's uh, set the stage for us. We have talked mm. about this topic before. You have written about it extensively before. Mm. Uh, what is it about this topic this time that is important to us to take on on this show? Two things, Kelly and Russ. Now, you're like, what, what are you really saying here? The truth is, is that we talk a lot about collaboration and we talk a lot about best practices, but in reality, I think we're always striving towards something that there's a certain mindset that we don't necessarily start with. And what I'm really excited about having been working with them over this past year is I, I really think Kelly and Russ bring the kind of right kind of mindset to this partnership that is the foundation for being able to put these changes in place. I mean, I think nobody should kid themselves that we're there. You know, when we when we do our story, when we tell our story, we're going to be telling a story about what it means to be midstream, and we're always striving for the next thing. There's a long-term conversation here. There's a short-term conversation. So what I'm particularly excited about is I think Russ and Kelly in particular are really committed to this concept of collaboration. And there's a lot of ambiguity in that. So you know, when I came aboard to start working with them, and uh, I'm going to give them a chance to speak briefly about this, there is a context in Colorado for why this is important and why it's important to get better at working together. And a lot of it has to do with what's happening around the state. And And Russ got in front of Kelly's people and told the story about from his perspective why it's important. And Kelly did this in front of Russ's people. And that was, became the foundation of us working together. So I'd love... Uh, Russ and Kelly, if you could just give a context for our listeners about what's happening in Colorado and what kind of impact it's showing up for you as leaders at CU Boulder. So, Russ, why don't you begin and uh, give us some thoughts about that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll rewind all the way back to 1993 when I came to Colorado. And uh, the first year I landed on the scene as, a, as an a, a, associate professor in physiology, 
um, there was a big campus conversation about we're losing state support. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I made this huge mistake. I came to this place where we're losing state support. And then uh, we survived that year. And the next year they said, oh, my gosh, we're losing state support. And then after three or four years, I realized, oh, we're always losing state support. <laughs> but that, that's not a sustainable proposition because someday if you keep losing state support year by year, you run out of state support. Um, now, fast forward to when I came over to the provost's office about five years ago, uh, there were some pretty stark analyses, one from the University of Denver, some from uh, other independent entities, one from the governor's uh, budget office, predicting that absent changes in the elect electorate's willingness to tax itself, uh, absent huge changes in the legislature's ability to deal with uh, non-discretionary funding growth, uh, we could run out of uh, funding for higher education by as early as 2021, and one prediction is 2024. Uh, we certainly hope that doesn't happen, but then when Kelly came on the scene about three years ago, uh, we thought, well, we better not wait around for this to happen. We better start preparing for filling the, the hole that might be left if state funding actually does is withdrawn from the university. The good news, and I'll, I'll pass it over to Kelly here because she has more details. The good news is we don't get a whole lot of state support for a national flagship research university. On the other hand, the state support we do get is important and it's real money. So uh, Kelly and I thought, well, we better collaborate as a single entity uh, and really focus on not only surviving uh, possible budget reductions, potentially to zero, but thriving while we're doing so. So um, this would be a good time for me to kick it over to Kelly. Sure. I, you know, I, I think the cornerstone of how we're dealing with this is thinking about the university coming together to collectively solve for this problem. I, I think Russ said it best that we're, um, we're no longer looking at state support declining as, as a problem to solve for, but rather this is an opportunity for us to, to really uh, thrive and to solve something that the rest of the nation is also struggling with. But because of our partnership and our approach, um, I think we're making substantial inroads in, in kind of transforming how we look at um, resources. You know, one of the things that strikes me, because uh, I had the opportunity to be in one of the chancellors, uh, facilitate a portion of the chancellor's leadership event and the conversation, and it's very clear this mantra is across campus, which is this uh, three-legged stool that the three areas we're going to put some serious work into and make sure we embed this into our culture is how are we going to increase our reputation? How are we going to focus on student success? And what does it mean to focus on alternative revenue sources? Uh, say a little bit about how the institution coalesced around that those three ideas and how that is how that is spreading across the campus because I think that's a powerful message for other leaders to consider for their institutions how they're going to find what is the key message we want everybody to be thinking across their campus. You know, we were as a cabinet talking about the flagship 2030, so we have an overarching strategic plan that really dives into a lot of these areas, but it's it's very broad and um, has lots of, lots of things in it. And we realized that we really needed to start being laser focused on aspects of it. So which things were we going to kind of draw from the plan and become part of a regular a drumbeat, 
and a regular cadence of things that we talk about and make sure that we're focusing on. And what really just naturally came forward were the three you mentioned. And um, I think they get to the core of, of who we are as a university and uh, the making sure that we are continually I hear Russ in all of his presentations refer to them. I try to ensure that I'm referring to him, and the chancellor does. And then as we look at the folks who report to us, accountability around their focus on those those issues um, is also what we've rolled out. Yeah, and I, I, that's a, a great prelude to, I'll give you an anecdote that uh, really caused me to focus on uh, the need for a few clear priorities. So when I became the provost, I had a staff meeting and I asked people, what, what's your job? Why are you here? And um, well, I'm here to balance the budget. Uh, I'm here to make sure your calendar is put together. And I said, no, no, why are we here? What, you know, how does that contribute to the greater mission? What's the greater mission? And it was striking to me that there were a lot of different variations of the theme of what the, what the mission was. So I thought, well, at least in the provost's office, we need a common uh, a set of targets to shoot at. Uh, and then after our uh, chancellor's cabinet meeting, we settled on these, and I think they're wonderful. And I, I think we, we can say on campus now that the, the majority of people, if you push them, they'll remember these three uh, strategic priorities for the campus. And uh, everything, every decision we make has to hit at least two of the three um, um, mantra themes, and that's reputation as a national research university, student success, and alternate revenue sources. Um, and uh, I, I think that's been a very unifying theme. It's, it's beginning to unify things. We have a lot of headroom left to, to do that, and I think that's what we're going to be talking about here. You know, you think about strategic planning, and we can put so much time and effort into these large strategic plans, but in the end, what this tells me is we, we can really make things a lot simpler by figuring out what is our key message, keep it to three, and then make sure we get the message out. You know, just the way you said that, Russ, is that... Everything we do needs to touch two of these three. Big decisions need to touch two of these three. Even, even that statement is a, is a leap forward for a lot of schools that have these kinds of mantras in the background, and nobody quite knows how we're going to get there. So that's what I find so powerful about that. I can't help but, but hear this conversation. I, and I, I, you know, one of the things you started with, Howard, was you know, what, are some of the, what are some of the impacts of the, the Colorado funding situation? And I think uh, you both have given us a good sense of, of the message uh, that you are carrying forth on campus, but I have this little voice in my head that says, uh, okay, when do we start calling University of Colorado a private school? Uh, you know, what are the implications that you're seeing on campus uh, of this situation? And, and uh, you know, do you, do you feel optimistic that the, the alternative funding sources and things that you, you two have, have come together to figure out how to, to really sustain this this a reputation as a premier research university without any support from the state at all. Like, I'm having such a hard time wrapping my head around that. And I, I guess I'm sort of speaking that to that, you know, in disclosure as an alumni. Yeah, I'm very so, optimistic yeah. about it. Um, if I can just jump in really quickly. Mm -hmm. I want that. Um, I love that. There's like a fiery response. I could right. like <laughs> jumping into, yes, well, let so me just it, say that. It conjures up uh, actually some moments of terror for me. Um, back when, oh my gosh, we are really headed for the possible scenario of being virtually unfunded, uh, 
uh, Kelly and I and the Chancellor are absolutely committed to our mission as a, as a public uh, research university. We're committed to affordability and accessibility. Uh, but then we came to realize, and, and Kelly's been a spectacular partner to work with uh, on everything we work with, but this was really cool to work with her on this one. We thought, we better get the best minds together. Uh, and we did, and it came in the form of a, a leadership retreat we had, was it three years ago, Kelly, or two years, years ago? Mm -hmm. Three years ago, where that wasn't Maybe part it was of two, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't part of our campus culture. Um, it was, like many campus cultures, it was kind of hierarchical. Uh, we'll listen to the provost, and then we brought the deans and the vice chancellors and some of the associate vice chancellors. We pulled them away for a whole day, kicking and screaming, uh, and we said, look, folks, here's the problem. We have a potential $50-$60 million hole to fill if we lose state funding, and that's in the context of roughly a $1.4 billion annual operation. Uh, and we broke out, and we said, "What? come back with four great ideas. And everybody's going, oh, my gosh, you know, what a waste of time. I got a day job to do. And honest to goodness, at the end of the day, they came back with three or four really good ideas, and we're actively implementing two of those now. And if, if we play it right, those two could almost fill the hole. And, uh, and again, it was really a big shift in campus culture to say, okay, everybody, let's bring the best minds and ideas to the table. And then the challenge we had then is, okay, well, here's a cool idea, but no one's going to do anything, right? Uh, well, because Kelly and I, I think together, there's kind of a force there because we're, we're remarkably on the same page yeah. almost all the time. Uh, we did pull off a few things, and people started to realize, oh, well, we actually can do some of these crazy ideas. Uh, so that, that's how it started, and it's been really exciting and invigorating. That's not yeah, to say we have a ton of challenges, but I'm very optimistic. Yeah, I am too. I, um, I I would say the other thing that we added to that mix is starting to change how we look at our state funding. So um, the state funding is a critical partner. I, so all these things that we are doing are value add, and if we can keep state funding, that will just be even better. And there's um, great things that will come from that. But what we're actively planning for, how do we make sure that the investments that we're making with our state dollars are value add to our Colorado residents and our current infrastructure? So we are investing in buildings that the state stopped investing in years ago. We're taking our monies from the state and saying, okay, we're going to make sure that the buildings you gave us 50 years ago are here and are set for the, the latest pedagogical thinking and teaching and we're going to invest in rehabilitating many of our facilities. And so we're trying to do um, use our state resources in very strategic ways that should we have to pull back and slow down on some of those, they are not as devastating as um, you know, needing to eliminate you know, 50 faculty lines or something. So we are trying to really transform how we think about those state dollars as well as to create new uh, revenue sources. Yeah, and one thing you brought up, Pete, was uh, we could be thought of as a private university if we lost state support. And, and uh, a very uncreative way to solve our problem is just raise tuition. And actually, we wouldn't have to raise it a whole lot to fill that hole. On the other hand, uh, our philosophy is, is um, we try to keep tuition as low as possible, and uh, we think we're 
more creative than just raising tuition. Um, and if we raised tuition and filled that hole, we would still be competitive with other public AAUs in terms of our tuition price point. But uh, again, that's not very creative. Uh, and as Kelly said, we're viewing these things as value add. And I think that's exactly the way to put, to look at it. It's the uh, it's the public radio model of higher education. <laughs> yeah. that's what right. I, you know, and I really I, I really think that uh, you know I, I appreciate hearing that. I certainly do. You know, and and I I love hearing and feeling that optimism. Um, you know, and I, I it just it feels to me like you all are uh, at the leading edge of a trend that is affecting a lot of states. And uh, it's unfortunate that you're at the leading edge, but the fact that you're you're putting some systems in place and processes in place to tackle that could very well make you a, a model for other institutions and other states to follow, Howard. You know, it seems to me also that uh, Russ's comment about, you know, sometimes you're looking at it and it's like there could be terror associated with this. I think the the power back to the two of them is, is ultimately their partnership is probably what gets the two of you uh, sort of not falling into this trap of either resignation or we can't do it because you know when you have a good partner, what you fundamentally what you fundamentally have is the ability to sort of express out loud where you are and have somebody else feed you something that allows you to then say, oh, that's a good idea, and. I'll tell you, I work with lots of people that are running the institution on the, on the administrative side. I've worked with a number of provosts. And I think what you, the two of you have is unique. And, and I'm sure when you talk to your peers, the two of you, you don't see this kind of partnership as well as it could be or the way the two of you have. At some level, I'm sure you feel lucky in some ways that you do have each other, that that you know, you two have a certain kind of mindset. But when you look at your peers, I'm curious, what are some of the things when, when you look at other institutions and people that you know and either other provosts or chief academic officers or Kelly for you, other senior financial folks uh, and administrative folks, what do you think the challenge is in terms of working across the aisle? What, what are some of the things that you think would resonate with those who are out there listening to this? Historically, there are perceptions of where um, individuals or entities within an organization lie and what their perceived goals are. And it's not entirely clear where one group is heading versus another. And then you get into a situation where you're not completely aligned. And I think going back to the three principal core goals that we've had and being able to kind of just point back to, yep, we're on the same page. And intentionally, Russ and I show up at meetings together to deliver a message of, yep, uh, you've got both academic and administrative house um, together. Um, I'm not sure that that is something that historically other institutions have done and taken the time, because those meetings, quite frankly, take time. (laughs) And uh, it really fills your calendar. But I think they're actually one of the critical steps that we've had to to being successful. I, I think there's just, there's baggage that comes with the jobs that honestly, Russ and I were a little bit new when, so Russ had been at the institution for a long time. He was, he's been provost five years. I came into the institution uh, three years ago. And what that affords us is to be able to say, oh, I, I don't know how that's been done. <laughs> so let's go figure out how it should be done. And that we're not as tied to, oh, this is the way we always do this. You know, I'm curious as you, as you add that, I just want to add one thing to this, Kelly, is that I think it occurs to me for the first time that having this 
uh, sort of overarching set of goals, reputation, student success, and revenue sources. Have you found that having that clear and sort of having an agreement at a leadership level, this allows you and Russ to be able to stay focused on the work, right? You know, because I think that some people out there would, you know, when they meet you and listen to you and listen to this, they'll say, you know, these these are two people that seem to like each other. And I think that helps, right? So that's the part it of the helps. thing that goes a long yeah. way. But that's not always the case. Not, you don't always have that kind of, of connection. But I wonder if one of the real residual benefits of this overarching mantra of these three things is it allows the two of you to come back to the work and focus on that. And then you're listening to each other saying, you know, Kelly, what is your perception of what we need to be doing in reputation? And then you're bringing that same level of interest to Russ, right? And in the absence of this, what do you focus on, right? Then you can unfortunately get in the weeds. So do you think that that really has helped the two of you stay focused on building this partnership? I I think it's absolutely helped us. And beyond that, I think it's helped many of the constituents on campus. I'm beginning to see, and some, some people picked up on it right away. So the, our, our, our three touchstones, reputation, student success, and alternate revenue sources, uh, again, this is, it c- creates a unifying narrative for the campus. So, for example, I'll have a, a receptionist in my office who um, I explain to my staff after the, that first staff meeting when people didn't give me the answer I wanted. You know, why are you here? What's your job? Do you realize that you're an institution that's won more science Nobel Prizes in the last 20 years than any other institution in the U.S.? You're part of that. And now and then what I had I had people do in their staff meetings is tell me how they contribute to that. Because everybody on campus contributes to it. You know, we, we have the highest graduation rate in the state of Colorado and we want to increase it even more. Uh, and you're part of that. Uh, I am? I just mow the lawn. Well, no. That's and then it's created a unifying narrative. And I think I'm beginning to see in parts of campus, not all, because we, we just got started, and there's a saying, you know, we move at academic light speed, which is <laughs> like watching paint dry sometimes. Uh, I think people are, there's a pride in, in people, and it, it helps them focus on their job and why they're doing their job. Uh, and that's what I'm, I'm hoping to see uh, be inculcated throughout the, the organization. And back to your point, Howard, I do think this common narrative does help everyone create, you know, a really tighter aperture through which to look at the jobs and why am I doing it? And then some of the things that we're doing, maybe I shouldn't or don't need to be doing it. And, and Kelly's actually been a great proponent of that. Are there things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing? And for some people, that, that's tough. Other people, it's like, oh my gosh, thank goodness, I don't want to do that anymore. That, it's a fascinating narrative. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, about the, uh, the presentation at Nakubo uh, that you three are delivering together. Can, are you equipped right now on the spot <laughs> <laughs> to share with me the one big lesson each of oh, you boy. has that you hope your audience uh, is able to walk away with uh, after they see you talk. Let's start with Howard so uh, our, our guests well, I, have some time to think. Nice. Thank you, Pete. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm thinking UPS, and it has to do with Russ and his capacity to get something to the to the facility in Nashville, but that's a whole other <laughs> subject. People know what we're talking about. Now people are like, what are we talking? What is, what is he bringing? Um 
the one key takeaway, because, you know, for the most part, we're going to ha- have in the room uh, business officers who are either the equivalent of Kelly's role at their large or small institution. We might have people that report to them. We might have a few uh, academic heads. There could be some provosts there. But for the most part, this is going to be that side of the institution that has a very strong mindset about we have to focus on the money. We have to focus on efficiency. And my hope, and I think this is going to be a, a, a dialogue versus we're going to present an answer, is that they're going to see that if they want to be able to be successful, they've got to find ways, the people in the room, to connect with the academic side of the house in a strategic and meaningful way. And if they're not able or willing to do this, they're going to they're going to be limping along to try and move initiatives forward. Because I think Russ and Kelly are a demonstration of what it looks like to do this. And, you know, funny, we said when we were doing a little bit of planning that we've got to come there with a, some problem because so far this is like one of these marriages that's like they never fight. <laughs> it's like this is a perfect marriage. I'm just – I'm waiting. I have yet to be around the two of them and and there's like anything going on and, you know, they're talking to, about the, each other behind their back and they seem to have a really good marriage thing going here. Um, <laughs> and at the same time, we got to show people uh, what it looks like uh, – when you do have challenges, how do you navigate that? Because I actually think that, that they do that well and don't even realize it. So right. I said that to give them some time. That was now. good. That was like vamping. But I, I think in a nutshell, <laughs> be meaningful and don't limp. Uh, Kelly. <laughs> you know, for me, I, I, I think we're going to bring an example of how we're coming together. Um, and so I'm not going to go into detail about all of that that we've done, but the takeaway will be uh, a demonstration of what it has taken for us to to bring groups that were very far apart um, a year ago and bring them together to work towards common goals and common understandings. And it's not perfect yet, but um, I I think we have a roadmap that we can lay out. And it is very much a, a deep partnership between Russ and I um, that I think is contributing to its its overall success. And that that would be my my key takeaway. Well, clearly something's going right because the last time you and I met face to face was over a year ago, and you weren't this chipper. <laughs> That's uh, probably right. So credit to Russ. What's your uh, one key takeaway? Well, it's pretty much the same thing with Kelly, and I, I think kind of getting into the weeds a little bit about the partnership. You know, we have a unified, you know, set of touchstone points that we, we bring to every meeting we go to. I think uh, largely the ability of Kelly and I to work together very well is I think we try, hopefully most of the time successfully, uh, Kelly really tries to understand the challenges I have on the academic side because I deal with decisions that involve tenure, academic freedom, and things that are a little amorphous and sometimes uh, emotionally charged. I try to understand uh, the the challenges that Kelly has on her side of the shop in terms of trying to do problem solving. So I think at other institutions, um, I, I've been at a few other institutions, rather than Kelly looking to me and say, well, why don't you solve that problem and rein your people in and me saying, well, why don't you guys do this? We really work collaboratively, try to understand each other's challenges and where appropriate and where possible 
uh, we try to help each other out. I have a number of examples of that. They would probably take too long to insert into this discussion, but we might get into that discussion in Nashville. That is the place for it. Uh, Sunday, July 19th, Collaborating for Impact, the CBO-CAO Partnership in Practice. It's going to be a great conversation. So uh, make it to Nakubo. Do what you can to make it down to Nakubo for the the entire conference, uh, but absolutely show up to this one. I love how the the two of you just sort of weaved in your perception about the key messages, you know, and how I'd summarize it now that I have had some time to listen to them is it's the first one, which is understand the other side. I think, Russ, you your comment there is that you guys take the time to understand it and appreciate the other person's point of view and their role, and that doesn't happen enough. The second thing you haven't mentioned and we are going to talk about is what, what does it mean to be visible in each other's world? One of the things I saw them do, which was so powerful, and I said this at the beginning of this podcast, is that Kelly came to Russ's event that I helped facilitate and told his people and demonstrated, I'm on the same page with this guy, and this is what I care about. And then Russ came to her retreat and told his story. And if that if that isn't the most... Uh, the the most clear way of showing the staff, you know, there's not this person out there. He's with me. So therefore, uh, we expect you guys to move forward as a group. Uh, and the third one is we are here to serve. You know, I think that the two of them, the mantra that keeps coming back to them and their staff is what does it mean to serve others? And I think this they're on their way, you know, so it's, it's about keeping the momentum going. So I, I'm very excited about giving people in this uh, session a chance to engage with the two of them. And I'm thrilled, Russ, that you're going to be partnering with us because they don't see enough provosts at Nakubo. So it's going to be fantastic. Stranger in a strange land for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this has been a great conversation. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, uh, listeners, for downloading, subscribing to the show. We appreciate uh, your attention every single week. Once again, find out more about the show at TybalInc.com. On behalf of Howard Tybal, Kelly Fox, and Russell Moore, uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next week on Navigating Change. Navigating Change.